Welcome to Dragon's Eye Podcast, where we reassert alchemical balance by delving into profound and esoteric subjects from an all-encompassing perspective, such as ancient myths, arcane magics, cryptids, and ancient astronaut theory, and many other related topics. I'm your host, Shaman Gaia, a spiritual life coach and intuitive healer. I'm joined by my co-host, Morphia, an investigative journalist, scholar, herbalist, and fellow shamanic practitioner. So step into the portal, the dragon's eye, and join us on a rite of passage that will rekindle your wonder and re-inspire you to ever-renewing heights. Bienvenue, fellow seekers of the strange and mysterious, and welcome to the first of three special episodes for the month of October. Tonight, the full moon hangs heavy in the night sky, casting its lustrous silver glow on the realm of the supernatural. Our focus this week is the timeless legend of the werewolf. From the shadowy forests of ancient Greece and Rome, to the moonlit roads of modern America, tales of these shape-shifting beings have captivated the human imagination for centuries. We'll journey through time and myth, dissecting the legend of the founders of Rome and ill-fated King Lycan and his cursed kin, before diving headfirst into contemporary encounters with the otherworldly beast of Bray Road and the fearsome Michigan Dogmen. So turn down the lights, draw the blinds, and join us as we uncover the truth about beings that lurk beneath the full moon's gaze. To kick off our episode on werewolves, I have two questions for you, Morphia. Okay. Ready? Okay. The first one is, what would you do if you realized that you were turning into a werewolf? Like you are on the cusp, it's about to happen, and you had no idea. I would more than likely freak the fuck out if I didn't know what was actually happening, but then suddenly realized that type of transformation was taking place right now. As long as it was not super traumatic the way our not-so-lovely Hollywood industry so redundantly portrays werewolf transformations, I feel I could manage it. Minus all the ridiculous stereotypical Hollywood bone-splintering, organ-rupturing, and the like, just to turn into a wolf individual. If it were more like some of the legends about which we've read pertaining to the wolf straps and wolf hides and thus being a high-technology, also known as a supernatural transformation like the majority of real-life encounter reports convey, I can manage it. Oh, absolutely. It would be way easier to just put on a belt or a ring, an amulet, and then as soon as you're done with it, take it off and just go back to who you were. Way more convenient. Okay, last question. Would you rather be stuck in the wolfman stage or be able to transform from human to wolf at will? Yeah, it's going to be preferable to be able to just change at will and not be stuck in that one form, just polarized where you essentially have no choice. You have to remain in that spot. It would definitely feel worse than a prison sentence, I could imagine. I feel like the mentality that comes with being a wolf, because humans, their brains aren't as animalistic, they can be. 
But I feel like if I had to turn into a human and then turn into a wolf, even if it was at will, like that kind of shift would be a little intense, even if I was anticipating it. I'd probably want to just be a wolf-man hybrid all the time. That way I'm just like chilling as a wolf-man. You mean a wolf-woman? A she-wolf? A she-wolf. Yeah, I feel like that would be fun. Yeah. I could get earrings and stuff. Dress it up. I'd probably end up having to live off of a little roadkill here or there, whatever the humans and the cattle were sparse. I'm okay with that. I'm resourceful, if nothing else. Yeah. Every year, there are more than a dozen reports of encounters with huge canid creatures in North America. On average, the creatures are reported as being 7 to 9 feet tall, usually very muscular and standing upright, as well as walking and running on their back feet. They maneuver with uncanny speed and what many describe as seemingly supernatural abilities, some of them being able to disappear or at least move so fast that they can hardly be seen. They've been reported to scale towering, craggy vertical cliff sides in mere seconds, as well as leaping such vast distances that it defies logic. Many of these encounters are reported as occurring in very remote wilderness areas that are rarely trafficked by humans. Many of the witnesses attest to the creatures being aggressive in nature with ghastly expressions, having wolf-like faces with a bear-sized appearance but being neither of these animals. The common denominator in every report is this. The witnesses emphatically say that the creature was neither a wolf nor a bear, but something completely hitherto unknown, and projecting a conscious awareness closer to that of a human. Some names that have been popularized to describe these creatures are Lugaru, Dogman, The Beast of Bray Road, and of course, Werewolf. Based on data collected and amalgamated by many werewolf and Bigfoot researchers, such encounters seem to be increasing annually. Another common thread that runs throughout the eyewitness reports is that these creatures are able to blur the boundaries of our reality and often appear to comprise a mixed natural and supernatural makeup far beyond merely a typical animal. Some witnesses claim it's as though these creatures have stepped into our reality from another dimension. To be crystal clear, we will be herein discussing the actual physical transformation from one being into another which is referred to in most of the ancient myths by a very specific wording. This is not the type of metaphorical or imagined transformation or mental delusion like the versions that academia and officialdom have used and still use today in an attempt to obfuscate the ancient truths. Lycanthropy, when addressed as a disease of the mind, will receive no mention here. Our discussion will include only the oldest and specifically worded versions that refer to actual physical transformations. I'm really wondering, why do you think that there's such a concerted effort to erase the reality of these creatures from existence? What would change if it was an accepted truth and shapeshifters were existing in the real world? Everything. It would change literally everything. I think that we would go back to a time like possibly what was occurring in the Atlantean era or some of the prehistoric eras where I think probably a lot of the human beings or whatever other similar races were around at the time were able to change at will and could use that, whatever you want to call it, supernatural occult, a shamanic power to basically take whatever form was a preference. I think everything would change. I think it would be similar to how society would be changed literally almost overnight if we were able to convert from 
do away with, I should say, fossil fuels and all that uh, old, antiquated, outdated tech that falls in line with electricity, coal, essentially electricity and coal for mobility, vehicles, transportation, things like that, if we were to be able to change and use the zero-point energy, those over-unity devices for our tech, I think, obviously, it would be similar to that. The middleman, government agencies and the like would lose their usefulness and therefore be outdated literally overnight because if you can run around and be whatever you want in whatever form, whatever shape you want to take, then you don't really need a lot of other things. If you've got that kind of, like I said, spiritual shamanic, whatever you want to call it, if you've got that kind of capacity, super capacity, mm-hmm. then you're going to be quite extraordinary, probably in many other ways too. Yeah, and I think that one thing also in the theme of divorcing from the reality that these supernatural things and people exist is this divorce from nature and the natural world. So like you said, with the whole fossil fuel things, it's not natural to be digging into the earth to extract things. And if people were like, well, if werewolves are real, then what else is out there? And again, they would start maybe thinking a little bit more or maybe trying to align themselves a little bit more with nature or forming a healthier respect for it and say, well, maybe we shouldn't be doing this either. Yes. In this conversation about what is a werewolf, let's start with the origin story that's most arguably the very most popular werewolf story. The story is the reason that we call the curse of the werewolf lycanthropy. It involves a king named Lycan, a god named Zeus, and a sacrifice. I know. Very juicy. Yeah, there was a lot of that back then. Yes. So the reason for the downfall of Lycan is usually split into two different tales, and the version I'm going to tell you about is the most popular one. To give a little backstory, the story of Lycan comes at a time in Greek history when the Earth Mother Gaia had sons who were giants who roamed the Earth terrorizing the gods. After the Olympians struck the giants down, according to Ovid's Metamorphoses, she made humans a smaller and less threatening version, but the humans also despised the gods, and I'm seeing a common thread here. Maybe the gods just weren't all that nice. Yes, right. Zeus and the other gods, naturally, were fed up with the disrespect and decided that an extermination of the human race was in order. Cue the flood story that appears in so many cultures' accounts of that time during history. Yes. So that's our context. So Zeus had heard that Lycan was impious and arrogant, which he was the only one who's allowed to be that way. Yeah, right. right. So Zeus visited the kingdom of Arcadia in disguise and started showing the people that he was a god and he told them that they better behave or else. Typical Zeus behavior. Most of the people who encountered Zeus in the street started praying and worshipping him, but the king, Lycan, mocked the people who believed that this man was really Zeus and invited the god into his home for a lavish feast and a test. One of the laws of the gods was to never eat human flesh, so Lycan and his sons mixed the human sacrifice into the meal and served it to Zeus. Disgusting. The child that they butchered for this meal is sometimes named as Lycan's youngest son, his grandson, or some other unnamed child captive, and Ovid's version says it's a child captive. Yeah, they're different accounts. Yeah. All equally horrifying, because who in the world is doing that. As the meal was served, Lycan watched with a wicked gleam in his eye, waiting to see if the god would detect the gruesome secret hidden within the meal. Zeus, however, was not fooled by Lycan's deceit. He recognized the horrifying truth and furiously overturned the serving table. 
the text reads, I destroyed his dwelling and his worthless household gods with thunderbolts avenging. So he was mad. Very. Lycan, being the shiftless tyrant that he was known to be, took off to avoid being killed in addition to all of his sons and all of the people present at the feast that night. With a wave of his hand, Zeus transformed Lycan into a creature of the night, a werewolf. And Ovid yeah, with just a wave of the hand. With just a wave of the hand. Interesting. And, and Ovid wrote a very telling description in his account of the story. This is what he said. Terror struck, he took to flight, and on the silent plains is howling in his vain attempts to speak. He raves and rages, and his greedy jaws, desiring their accustomed slaughter, turn against the sheep, still eager for their blood. His vesture separates in shaggy hair, his arms are changed to legs, and as a wolf, he has the same gray locks, the same hard face, the same bright eyes, the same ferocious look, end quote. Lycan, once a man of arrogance and cruelty, was now a beast, a creature of the moonlight. His transformation was not just a physical change, it was a symbol of his wickedness and a curse. So from that day forward, the name Lycan became synonymous with the curse of lycanthropy. I can see how here in this story we can equate becoming a werewolf or going from man to werewolf is a curse because technically you're devolving in a way. You're going from this quote-unquote higher functioning (laughs) brain to this more animalistic primal brain. But it seems like it's just a translation of who he was as a person, and now he's become this creature. Yeah, right. And Zeus, seeing into that, basically just said, I'm going to multiply this exponentially for you since this was your character. That's what Zeus is doing. Yeah, and I mean, if anyone was going to give a good shapeshift, it would be Zeus, right? Yeah, of course. You know, the same guy who himself shapeshifted on multiple occasions simply to have sex with other people and was never held accountable for it. You know? Mm-hmm. In most ancient texts, other words pertaining to the physical transformation of one being into another being or form include therion, shapeshifter, and changeling. More modern vernacular that similarly conveys the concept is transubstantiation, transfiguration, metamorphosis, and transmogrification. Now we'll address the typical imagery most modern-era people have when contemplating werewolves or any such shapeshifting creatures. No thanks to Hollywood movie productions, most people who would even begin to fathom the concept of shapeshifting or transmogrification believe it would probably be quite painful and entail an enormous amount of physical, bone, organ, and tissue restructuring. For actual shapeshifting to be a concrete reality, this type of transformation would be completely impractical for many reasons. However, when looking at the ancient texts on the subject, none of that overly dramatic nor impractical and highly improbable transformation process is mentioned. In addition to this, modern-day reports of encounters with shapeshifters include no mention of agonizing physical trauma due to dislocating bone and the like during physical transformation. Yeah, and even in the translation of Ovid, if you're reading about someone transforming they're slowing it down for embellishment but that doesn't mean that it was that way or that it has to be that way and i think the dramatization coupled with the idea of completely transforming into a whole other kind of creature definitely brings about that type of feeling yeah right 
In most modern-day encounter reports, it is often explicitly stated that these creatures use vortexes, portals, or spheres of light to either traverse distances or to shrink in size until they vanish. On a similar note, the infamous Men in Black have been witnessed at close range to shapeshift instantaneously from a humanoid form into a black dog or dog-like creature. There is mention of this in the book Shapeshifters by Nick Redfern. This type of transformation makes the most sense because if it were a slow and agonizing transformation for most of these types of creatures, a quick mathematical estimation reveals they would not have lived so long throughout all these millennia so prolifically. Their enemies could have easily ascertained when they would be most vulnerable, then laid in wait to kill them during that long and excruciating transformation process. Those afraid of their existence and habits would have easily been able to exterminate them. It is possible some werewolf species could undergo this type of prolonged metamorphosis, but compared to a quicker conversion, it does seem like it would be a rarer phenomenon, if at all a reality. Exactly. So all you'd have to do is find out where they hide to right. shift, yes. and then just wait for the moon to get full. <laughs> Could you imagine your neighbor is a werewolf, yeah, right. and you know it takes him a good 30 seconds to shift, and he forgets to mow on your side of the lawn? I'd be ready. Yeah, that sounds like the werewolf movies coming out of Hollywood anyway. Another note of interest is that seeing as most eyewitness encounters of werewolves do not mention a metamorphosis from human to werewolf or vice versa, it's a possibility that some of the werewolf cryptids are not at all human. They would still be shapeshifters considering that some witnesses observed them transforming into other creatures via streaks of light. We will cover more about that later. I do know that in the West Indies, in my culture, that the French lougarou is the word for werewolf, and it's also used in countries like Haiti that were colonized by the French. Yeah, interesting. In, yeah, and in Trinidad, they called them lagou. So it sounds the same, and even though the word means werewolf, it's sometimes a general classification for shape-shifting humans who drink blood, like vampires. Yeah, and another interesting note is the fact that it begins with an L anyway, and the Lu sound is so often in other cultures related to the lichen as well mm -hmm. from the Greek and the like, so. Yeah, and much like the modern accounts of werewolves, they can change shape, size, all of these shapeshifters can change shape, size, and form in an instant, so there's no Hollywood transformation yeah. sequence. Yeah. Right. And they're often seen as transforming into balls of light to escape pursuit or to travel at night without being seen by humans. Exactly, yes. Yeah. And that's what I found in my research is that so often those are the references, the balls of light, the uh, shimmering streaks of light, mm -hmm. lightning, almost like a mini lightning streaks around mm -hmm. them, glistening, glimmering. And then there's that transformation immediately. So, uh, yeah, just don't buy the dumbed-down physical, oh, you know, it's going to take 30 minutes for this to happen. I'm <laughs> going to be in misery the whole time. You know, I just don't. That's impractical. Yeah, you've got to feel your quads elongate and the femur reshape. Yeah. Nobody's doing that. Yeah. The following is information that has been passed down to us from ancient myths regarding werewolves. The presence of the werewolf myth predates the Greco-Roman civilization by far. Likewise, prehistoric altars from 75,000 BC were found that included evidence of bear and wolf cults. Wow. Yeah, there's an interesting timeline on a website called werewolfpage.com. Check it out. It's got a lot of that information. 
So I'm sure you've heard the ancient Greek myth that pertains to Romulus and Remus. Yeah, I had to translate it many times in high school. Yeah, so as the story goes, basically founded their entire civilizations on the myth of Romulus and Remus. So you've got Rhea Silvia was their mother, and she had sex with Mars, also known as Ares. Yeah, the god of war only had one consensual partner, though, and that was the goddess of love. Everybody else didn't really... Wasn't right. really like into him like that. Right, of course. That was a little pattern with those pesky gods, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. So she became pregnant with Romulus and Remus, and then because of the prophecy that they would rise up against King Amulius. Yeah, so Rhea Silvia was the daughter of King Numitor. He was supposedly a kind and benevolent king, but his brother was not, and he wanted the power for himself. So he heard of the prophecy, which was that his great nephews would rise up and found this great civilization and they would kill him for it. And he did not want that. So he forced his niece to become a vestal virgin. But as you, as we were saying, yeah, Rhea Silvia, um, forced her to be a vestal virgin and so that she would never have children. However, he wasn't counting on Mars taking a liking to her. And so then again, she was pregnant. And so he put her in seclusion because he said, they're not going to have a chance. Yeah, to overthrow him. Yeah, and his intention was that as soon as these children were born, that he was going to have somebody, like, kill them and toss them away so that, again, the prophecy wouldn't be fulfilled. Yeah, that didn't work. No, it didn't work because the person, very much like in Snow White, where the queen is like, cut out her heart, and the woodcutter's like, I can't do it. It's just very similar. Like, they couldn't do yeah. this to these innocent children. So they just floated them in a basket down a river, and that's where Faustulus and his wife come in, and yeah. they raise them. Faustulus and Akalorincia, those were their adopted parents, essentially. Faustulus found them in the woods, took them, and then they raised them. And then you have the story of Rome, and that's basically the founding of Rome, which was attributed to Romulus Remus. The boys grew up, they killed Amulius, the king that was the king of the land at that time, and then they reinstated the grandfather of Numitor as king, and then they decided to make a city of their own. They chose the place where the she-wolf nursed them. Romulus began to build the walls, but Remus mocked his brother because the walls were too low. To prove his point, he leaped over them, and Romulus in anger killed him. Romulus then continued building the new city as if nothing had ever happened. He named it Roma after his own name. Yeah, they were raised by wolves, so naturally. (laughs) They were wolf-like men. Right. Interesting parallel in the name of that sci-fi show. Mm -hmm. So, some of the werewolf lore surrounding this myth is as follows. Romulus allegedly created tribes from the people of New Rome. One of the tribes was the Luceras. They were purported to be a tribe of werewolves. It is speculated by some researchers that the first of the Luceras were lupine werewolves with vicious and powerful chiefs whom subjugated and terrorized the native peoples there. The Odyssey, written in 850 BC, also includes accounts of the belief in shape-shifting werewolves. Predating the Greco-Roman werewolf myths by thousands of years are the related myths from ancient Sumeria. Later known as Babylon, ancient Sumeria was one of the oldest civilizations on planet Earth. Some of the ancient Babylonian creation accounts, such as the Enuma Elish or Elish, contain traditions pertaining to the changeling or shapeshifter myths. You know about the Enuma Elish, right? Yeah, I was about to ask, don't some people say the Elish? Yeah, I believe it was the ancient astronaut researcher David Childress who I first heard pronounce it Eilish, which reminded me of eyelash, and I know how much you love long and luxurious <laughs> eyelashes. I do, which is probably why I'm like, I like to say Eilish instead of, instead of Elish or Elish. 
In the Sumerian epic of Gilgamesh, the story is told of a god king, Gilgamesh, the son of Ugalbanda, the fifth king of the first dynasty who is believed to have reigned around 2600 BC. In the story, Ishtar, the goddess of fertility, love, war, and sex, was supposedly in love with our hero Gilgamesh and attempted to seduce him. Yeah, Gilgamesh, however, rejected her advances because he knew how she had abused her past lovers, and he proceeded to recite all of those ways to her, which didn't help matters. One of her many suitors, a young shepherd that had fallen in love with the goddess, left her abundant offerings at a shrine on a mountainside. The goddess supposedly made it worse by enabling him to continue, but eventually she grew bored of his dedication and transformed him into a wolf. He was then torn to shreds by his very own hounds. Can you say ironic? Right. If that was truly the case, it's obvious to see why Gilgamesh rejected her. Yeah, and you know what? Good for him. I remember, again, I had to read the Epic of Gilgamesh in high school, but I remember when we got to that part, he really went in. Because he talked about, she turned that one into a werewolf. She turned another one into a wild horse. And he trampled somebody to death. She just didn't care. Reckless. Right. Could you imagine falling in love with someone and giving them everything, but then they get bored of you and they turn you into a werewolf? That's reckless, godly behavior. It is. On par. From presently available data, the story of the transformed shepherd is the first written account of a man being transformed into a wolf. Another of the earliest known mentions of werewolf shapeshifting comes from the Satyricon, a work written by the Roman writer Petronius, a scribe at the court of the Emperor Nero. Similar to the other writings of the time, it is a discussion of philosophy in alternating prose. The work was published as late as 1664, even though it was supposedly written around AD 61. The Satyricon is a collection of stories that primarily describe the exploits of two friends, Encolpius and Gita. But it also concerns the story of Niceros, or Nicyros, also known as Nictimus, a soldier that traveled to a distant place with an acquaintance. Along the journey, they stop at a graveyard of all places to relieve themselves. What? Yeah. To the shock of Niceros, his companion, laughing maniacally, urinates in a circle around himself, rips off his clothes, and then transforms into a wolf. He lets out a blood-curdling howl and runs toward the nearby town. The stunned Niceros then begins to examine the man's discarded clothes, only to discover they've been turned to stone. What? Yeah, that's actually a recurring case in some of those stories, other stories as well, around the world. After this, Niceros, frightened to the core, walks to the nearby town. Along the way, he is so afraid that he attacks every suspect's shadow with his sword. Upon his arrival, he is told by a woman that a monstrous wolf killed off a handful of farm animals but was then speared in the throat by a servant. Incidentally, Niceros was the son of King Lycan, and whom, in some accounts, was eventually killed and fed to the god Zeus by his father Lycan. It's important to note that the pronunciation of the name Niceros, when it is pronounced Nicyros, strongly resembles the word Osiris. Right, right. Right, Osiris is also linked to the dog star, Sirius. Yeah, it seems like we really come full circle with some of these discussions we have. And to add to what you're saying, in one of the other accounts, like you said, Niceros, who was known in that one as Nictimus, was the one who was sacrificed because Zeus turned Lycan into a werewolf. 
he kind of made up for it by turning Nictimus back into a human. Yeah, resurrected him. Yeah, he resurrected him. But Nictimus could just not get a break from werewolf stuff. Yeah, really. It's like he was destined to be werewolf-tortured. Right, because his dad's a werewolf, his friend turns into a werewolf in front of him, and just loses his mind. <laughs> and and it tracks, though, that, like, you know, he's he's the one who's experiencing the werewolf stuff, and he's immune to it. Yeah. Because his friend turned into a werewolf and didn't turn to kill him. He ran off to kill some farm animals. Yeah. So maybe that's part of his resurrection deal. Uh, maybe in that particular account of the resurrection. I would say that, you know, if Hollywood was creative enough, they could make an epic werewolf hunter werewolf story with this. Oh, yeah. Like, and easily. Easily. Cause but they're, they're not going to do that. Yeah, because there's so many myths pertaining to these ancient creation stories, these so-called myths, these stories that were probably based in fact at some point in the ancient past. And yeah, they could definitely, it would be so easy. It's like that series, Underworld, instead of making like 12 different iterations of that, they could have easily turned this into an epic yeah, werewolf and, hunting story. Yeah, at first that was actually a pretty good offering, a uh, decent production. The werewolves even looked like a lot of the depictions that are described in these traditions. Another well-known ancient myth pertaining to shapeshifters is the story of Nebuchadnezzar II, the Babylonian king who was cursed to change into what many believe was a werewolf for approximately seven years. It is speculated by some he was still yet a wolf type of creature, even though the biblical story specifies he ate grass, quote, like the ox, end quote. The biblical account describes him as a mixture of bovine and eagle, therefore it is entirely possible he was transformed into a creature similar to the many werebirds, weresheep, and even minotaur-type cryptids. Nebuchadnezzar II was credited with creating the Hanging Gardens of Babylon as well as the stunning Ishtar Gate, upon which, by the way, are depicted in high veneration several dragon figures. Well, our old friends the dragons. The story and the description of Nebuchadnezzar as some kind of bovine eagle type creature reminds me of that time that we went hiking. Do you remember that? Yeah. That was so creepy. So what happened was we went hiking and we saw the remains of some charred skeleton. Yeah. Yeah. Very it looked, strange. Yeah. It looked like it, it was a dog, but there were wings attached to it. Yeah, and somebody had burnt it to a charred spot on the ground. Yeah, maybe it was just old Nebuchadnezzar II come back to finish some business. <laughs> Werewolves are cryptids that fall under the category of a type of shapeshifter. There are many other types of shapeshifter cryptids which have been encountered all over the planet. Some shapeshifters are known to have the ability to transform into humans as well as any type of creature, both from the known animal species and unknown amalgamations. Other shapeshifters are said to have the ability to only transform in a limited capacity. Some of the varied types of shapeshifters include beings such as the ancient dryads, the kushtaka or ottermen of Alaska, the wendigo and skinwalker of Native American myth, the Indian rakshasa, the Kitsune of Japan, the Hamrammer of Iceland, the Nawal of Mexico, and the Aswang of the Philippines, to name only a few. There are many more shapeshifter entities that have been encountered by cultures everywhere on planet Earth. Did I ever tell you about my mom's vampire story? Yeah, that's an interesting one. Yeah, she's got a lot like that, but this one was very close to what we're talking about here. So, I... But the context is in Guyana. 
Yeah, yeah, this is in South America. Right. So she's walking home late one night in her village. Again, no real street lighting. And she notices that a man has been following her for a couple houses. And so she kind of just plays it off. She doesn't put too much attention on him. She's just trying to make it home. She'd look behind her and he'd be right there. And then she'd look again and he'd be gone. So she said, nope, I'm just going to go home. So she goes home, goes to bed. And she says in the middle of the night while she's sleeping, she wakes up and she sees this mist coming through the keyhole in her bedroom. And it rematerializes as the man that she saw following her. And he bites her on the thigh. And she forgets like she goes back to sleep. And she said when she woke up, she thought, hmm, what a strange dream. But then she looked down at her leg and she had two puncture wounds on her inner thigh. Yeah, that's wild. That's definitely a type of vampire. Yeah, I would have screamed. Shapeshifters are very common in all mythologies. The metamorphosis from human to animal form sometimes occurred as a result of divine punishment. The gods condemning an individual for allegedly perpetrating pride, boastfulness, or so-called blasphemy even though the gods themselves had previously or would later go on to perpetrate the same things and were themselves not usually held accountable. As previously mentioned, some shapeshifters are alleged to not be human at all, but to only transform from one creature to another or into other natural objects such as trees. The ancient Viking tribes also revered the wolf and conducted many rituals to harness the powers of shapeshifting and savagery for subjugating their enemies. Some Viking tales imply there was a belief in the existence of a bear and wolf hybrid of a mixed natural and supernatural constitution. Certain Viking tribes consisted of berserkers who adorned themselves with bear hides or a mixture of bear and wolf hides in order to tap into the occult current of those animals and metamorphose into its super supernatural form. Native Americans applied almost identical ceremonial rites. Many of their rituals included wearing wolf and bear furs in order to absorb the traits of these animals. Several of their most important rituals centered around undergoing a physical transformation into a being that exists somewhere between human and animal, yet possesses extraordinary supernatural abilities. The concept of sympathetic magic involves a desired outcome that is attained by employing names, objects, or depictions closely resembling the intended focal point. Similar to the principles of sympathetic magic, numerous ancient rituals aimed at attaining supernatural shape-shifting abilities required wearing items from the primary creature of focus. The fact that the Vikings, Native Americans, African tribes, and many other cultures were practicing this form of ritual shape-shifting within the same era is a correlation in and of itself. It shows that a specific phenomenon was occurring with this widespread process cultural rite. Some cultures still maintain similar ritual practices to this day. This subject deserves much more in-depth research. Encounters with werewolves are so often reported being in or near certain cemeteries and Native American burial grounds that a pattern arises. This trend invokes themes from ancient myths that relate how certain dog or wolf beings are stewards of the dead or guardians of the underworld realms. The Egyptian Anubis is one such example of many. The ancient traditions of the Native Americans also convey that shapeshifters or werewolves can often be guardians of sacred burial mounds or shrines for the dead. Countless documented reports of these eyewitness encounters repeatedly specify that these beings will aggressively pursue those trespassing on sacred sites until they leave. 
According to the vast body of available research, even though some of these types of werewolf creatures appear to be primarily guardian elementals with the express purpose of protecting various sites or portal locations, other types of werewolf cryptids are more so predatory. The latter types of cryptid, it has been speculated, are responsible for some alleged attacks and disappearances of humans. There is no known proof of this. Something I wonder with all these stories about guardian wolf-dog hybrid beings, who is training them? Because, you know what I mean? Sometimes the people who go to these places aren't being malicious or looking for trouble. They're just a little too close to somewhere they shouldn't be. So does that program get written into their DNA like we do when we breed dogs for temperament or do they literally have to be trained with commands? I mean, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I think it's part of the DNA, but I also think that some of these creatures like the werewolf cryptids and uh, some of the other similar cryptids are just more intelligent than the actual animals that we have here on the planet because they are more humanoid-like or because they're probably even more intelligent than a lot of humans, I would think. Even the Native Americans and some other tribal cultures have stories that relate that every animal on this planet was fashioned after an actual being that right. walks upright and has conscious intelligence the way humans do. So I feel like, you know, there are probably werewolf cultures or probably vampire cultures that are probably just like in some of the most outrageous cartoons and things like that that we've seen on TV, different things like that. It might sound outrageous when you first talk about it, think about it, but I think that's really how it probably works. According to a lot of these ancient traditions. If that makes sense. The Beast of Bray Road is a werewolf cryptid primarily encountered in Wisconsin and has been seen more than a few hundred times to date. The frequency of encounters are predicted to increase based on extrapolation of the present data. The creature has never been captured and many attribute this to the fact that it is able to disappear as well as take the form of fog or mist and spheres of light. Mm. The local animal control office actually has a file labeled werewolf due to the ample frequency of eyewitness reports. The creature has been seen killing neighborhood dogs and cats, but allegedly it has not been known to kill humans to date. Due to the increase in encounters, not only in Wisconsin but across the northern United States, other researchers have speculated that there are many more similar cryptids of this type. The Beesterbury Road could be related to the Michigan Dogman, and both are witnessed as bipedal werewolf. Because of an aggressive campaign to stamp out wolf attacks beginning in the 1800s, by 1960 the wolf was actually exterminated from Wisconsin oh, officially. Wow. By the 1980s, Wisconsin experienced a resurgence in encounters and was awash in regular reports of this massively large upright werewolf cryptid. Some have speculated that perhaps the wolf population managed to survive the extermination and even adapted by being able to walk and run on the hind legs, but due to the fact that none of these allegedly evolved wolves' carcasses have ever been found, this is highly unlikely. Both the Beast of Bray Road and the Dogman cryptids have been reported to exhibit a supernatural capability and that they seem to be able to transform into fog and spheres of light and disappear in an instant. Many researchers believe the Beast of Bray road is not able to transform into a person, despite that it's still considered a shapeshifter due to the fact that a significant amount of encounters entail the appearance of an unnaturally behaving fog immediately after the creature disappears. 
There are over 500 reported dogman encounters, and it is not just reported in Michigan, but all over the United States, in addition to many other places across the world. Stories of these werewolf cryptids date as far back as the colonization of America, but the Native Americans have humanoid wolf traditions that predate even that time period. You know what gets me when people say that, oh, well, yeah, the wolf population, maybe a male and a female survived and they evolved. Evolution does not happen in 160 years. Yeah. It takes a lot longer than that. Wolves are not just going to reform their bone structure. They're not going to do the reverse of what Hollywood does and start groaning in pain and grow like a pelvis that can support upright legs. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, you're talking regular evolution is, uh, we're talking billions of years before most changes like that occur. And it's a long, slow process. And something else that's wild is even here where we live, over the summer I found out that they found like a mastodon skeleton, they found camels in this part of the world, but they can't find a werewolf. That means that they're not being left behind. Yeah, I think that's obvious in the similar discussions regarding the subject of Bigfoot as well, and everybody's like, well, where are the fossil remains? I think those creatures are not going to have that because they've been too often seen going into portals and coming out of portals and seen with UFOs, coming off of UFOs and things like that. So I think the werewolf is very similar in that regard. We've been having a lot of talks about ancient shapeshifter werewolf cryptids, right? Yeah. And I wanted to find some more modern accounts, maybe something a little bit closer to the 2000s. And I found one. In 2017, a Michigan trucker named Joe Barger, who's 59. So his name is Barker? Yeah. B A R G E. Yeah, that sounds like Bark. Sometimes you wonder if they're actually choosing these people. Right, because what are the odds that a guy named Joe Barger finds himself connecting with a dog man? So he shared his encounter with the Michigan dog man on a YouTube show called What Lies Beneath. Barger, a six-year army veteran, was transporting 43,000 pounds of paper from a mill in northern Michigan through the forest on his typical route when he encountered the dog man on an evening in June. He said that he'd never heard of the cryptid before, which this incident that I'm about to tell you about realistically was between 15 and 20 seconds, so not a lot of time. But I could imagine that when you have an encounter this harrowing, time slows down. Oh yeah, 20 seconds, especially in this context, is going to seem like an hour. Right. So leading up to the encounter, Barker realized that while he was driving, he had an air leak. And he really wanted to fix it before he got too far into the forest, so he stopped to look at it, and he found it that it was back by the brake chamber on the trailer of his truck. So he got the materials to fix it, got under the trailer, and started to get a bad feeling while he was fixing it. He said that he was hearing this vocalization, and it wasn't natural, and it wasn't a sound he had ever heard before. He said that he was looking around, and he saw some shadowing in the wood line. But since it wasn't dark yet, he understood, you know, I'm in bear country, maybe it was a bear which is usually what people say. (laughs) Maybe it's a bear. So this is what, dusk? Yeah, so it's around dusk. But even though it might have been a bear, even he didn't know, but he didn't want to stick around to find out, so he packed up all his stuff, checked checked that the leak was good, and got back on the road. So even as he was driving, he said that he was getting like a bad feeling. He was sensing that something wasn't right. And he checked his driver's side mirror. There was no traffic. He started going up the hill and looked at his right mirror, and he saw that it was darker than it should be because there was a wolf head next to his window, and his windows were down. 
Mm, lovely. That's too much. He said it was running along next to the next to the truck, and he was going 20 to 25 miles per hour at this point. Okay, so it's running beside the truck. Yes, looking into the window. The head is tall enough to be mm-hmm. at the height of a semi's window, right? Yeah, and he said that he was about that's nine. Tall. Yeah, he's nine feet tall in his yeah, seat. Yeah, that's huge. And this thing is looking at him. He said his hands were coming up to scratch the windowsill as he's like running next to the. I would have, yeah. yeah. I don't think I would have survived that. Yeah, that's massive, and that, that 15 seconds is going to seem like an eternity. Yes, he said he could even hear the, the claws on his door handle. It was trying to get in. Yeah. And naturally, time slowed down. He said he thought he was in, like, an alternate reality because this creature that sure. he was seeing didn't sure. make sense to him. Yeah, definitely. He described it as having, like, a lot of sharp teeth, and they were brilliant white. He said the fangs at the top and the bottom were, like, three inches long. And he said, again, it was at least 10 feet tall. Um, and its eyes were darting all over the place and looking uh, at him. Because now it's up on its back hind legs, like, it's trying like to get giant it. giant. Yes. Titan. Yeah, and he said it had yellow eyes. And the hands on this thing were uh, probably, like, 14 inches across. <laughs> that's yeah, a ruler that's... and change. <laughs> yeah, but, but we're talking about evolved wolves, right? Right. A wolf in 160. Yeah, not quite. No, that's not. And the thing that he said that stood out to him was the way that this creature was looking at him. He said it, it was sneering, and he wasn't making any noises, but the looks that he was giving him and the intelligence in his eyes was saying, I'm coming in, and you cannot stop yeah. me. And I would have seen that. It's my truck now, boy. Right. He's like, pull over. I have places to go. Yeah, right. So he thought about trying to roll up the window, but he decided to focus on keeping the truck on the road because on top of this, he wasn't also trying to wreck. Yeah. Which I would have wrecked already. <laughs> At this point, I would have wrecked. Just to, just to end the experience. But what he did remember is that he had a handgun. So he pulled his 45 out and took two shots at the creature. And he said that it went down because he was at almost point blank range with this. So naturally, even if it's like resilient, bulletproof animal, like if you hit something that close with a projectile, it's at least going to fall back. Yep. So he said he he was sliding into the weeds. And again, everything on this animal was huge. And he assumed that the creature was dead, and his curiosity was like, okay, maybe I'm crazy, I need to go back and see. So he found a place where he can turn around and went back. He said he wanted to make sure that he killed it, <laughs> because he wasn't sure like that that thing should be running around in the woods. But it was gone. There was nothing there. In its place was a jeep with two people, and they had said that they were watching two bears fighting each other. And he was worried that they were seeing two of these creatures that he one of which he just shot at fighting yeah. in the woods and nobody needs to be outside during that yeah or maybe they were just black ops plants that were there to distract him to keep him moving along you know it could be that too they yeah. do that they do and it's interesting that you say that because his troubles didn't end there so he started having nightmares and after these months of intense nightmares one of his family members said hey you should tell somebody about this story and get it out there because this is really fantastic so he reached out to the creator of what lies beneath and he said i don't want to be identified he was in the military so he knew that if they knew who you were and you were talking about these things it would be a disaster yeah i knew how it worked yeah but despite his anonymity he was still detained at a scale house and they told him that he had to wait for federal authorities to come and talk to him Mm -hmm. And he said that the people who came to talk to him told him that he had killed one of their assets 
and this is how it's gonna go right yeah they said that the thing that he killed the only thing that he had killed was this creature from the year before and it was their property and they were mad and they froze his assets they froze his bank accounts and they took his gun and when the article came out he had just started talking about the incident again the last thing before we move on is that the legend of the dogman sightings follow a 10-year cycle and that falls on years ending in seven and again this happened in 2017 isn't that spooky yeah that's very interesting it has been suggested by a small portion of researchers, including myself, that cryptids such as Bigfoots and werewolves could very well be some remnants of the original titans mentioned in ancient Sumerian and other myths. They could have also been hybrid creations that were genetic manipulation projects specifically chosen from some of the titan species and were spared destruction from the deluge or were only created afterward. Seeing as many of the titan species mentioned in the ancient global myths were allegedly very problematic and hostile toward the human race, then creating newer, more refined versions of them sometime near the extinction events of the majority could have served as a modification program with the intent to preserve some of the titan lineages. And going back to talking about the cryptids and people talking about proof of the werewolves, proof of the Bigfoots, it stands to reason that because these creatures have been seen going into portals coming out of portals that is a very large amount of the details that are reported with these eyewitness accounts it also stands to reason that if they are able to come from these portals they are also observed coming off of these ufos or going onto them then it makes sense that they are directly linked to these higher intelligences mm -hmm. such as either greys or the other dragon species reptilian species um, similar beings of this nature so it also makes sense then by association that they are not going to be found if they are deceased if they die then they are probably not going to be found because these beings have a vested interest in them right. and because of this shroud of mystery they themselves don't want to be seen and are constantly operating in secret so obviously they're not going to allow these bigfoots and werewolves to be discovered their bodies and their fossil remains right which also kind of makes me think that whenever people do see them maybe they're supposed to see them yeah right they're supposed to have these encounters because they go to such great lengths i mean sure maybe once in a while one might slip through the cracks but we're not talking about the american government we're talking about <laughs> other yeah. higher life forms maybe yeah, there are also reports that some departments of the government are working in collusion with some of these ET species. Obviously, I think that's a given. Right. And if that's the case, then they're probably uh, handpicking some of these people in these encounter situations. It's entirely possible, so nothing should be ruled out at that point. The data from reported encounters with werewolf cryptids shows an interesting correlation to data from Bigfoot encounters. According to many encounters, both the werewolf and Bigfoot cryptids exhibit striking similarities in their circumstances. UFOs are seen just prior to the encounters. The creatures are coming from and going into portals of light or swirling vortexes. Both cryptids have been witnessed coming from UFOs and in the presence of gray aliens. And most importantly, many witnesses have reported 
encountering the Bigfoots and the werewolves simultaneously. These guys have been deep in the woods, either hunting or in these extreme wilderness areas where most humans do not go, and they encounter these beings, and they encounter them at the same time. They'll have werewolves on one side and then Bigfoots on this other side, and in many cases it's as though they are almost working in tandem, working together to drive out the human intruders. So again, that's a striking correlation there. Another interesting observation that points back to the fact that these cryptids, specifically the Bigfoot and the werewolves, are directly linked to the higher intelligences is the fact that many of these witnesses have fired live rounds at these creatures. Many people, both men and women, have shot at the Bigfoots and the werewolves, and to no avail. Most of the time it doesn't drop them, aside from the story you just told. Many of these accounts report that firing at them either passes right through them or it bounces off of them. Or they are pulled into these portals before the bullets reach them or something of that nature. So there is an obvious correlation between these creatures and higher alien intelligences. And that makes sense because, like I was saying before, who is in charge of them? They're not just running loose and wild because otherwise that would be a major problem. That would be an issue. Right. A key factor in these eyewitness encounters is the glistening lights. The Bigfoots and the werewolves have both been reported as being encompassed by these lights, or these lights flash around them, and both the werewolves and the Bigfoots have also been reported to have transformed into other creatures when they have these lights around them, when they are glistening or going into these lighted vortexes and things of that nature. So multiple witnesses have cited seeing UFOs in the skies and bright lights just prior to encountering the Bigfoots and the werewolves and a lot of these other cryptids as well. Chupacabra is another one that people report very often seeing UFOs and bright lights and orbs of light and things of that nature right before these encounters with the Chupacabra as well. So there is a correlation there. There's a pattern and I think that you could even prove it if you had all of the data from all of these reports and you could make a mathematical correlation. Speaking of the mathematical correlation, there's an author, Stan Gordon, is a very well-known author on specifically the Bigfoot, but some other cryptids as well. One of his older books, Silent Invasion, the Pennsylvania UFO Bigfoot Case Book. It's a very popular book and deals a lot with the Bigfoot sightings and the UFO correlation. And he's got a newer book called Creepy Cryptids and Strange UFO Encounters of Pennsylvania Case Book 4. The point being, Stan Gordon is often talking about how if UFO researchers and cryptid researchers would pool their data together, they could probably come up with some interesting outliers or anomalies in the data. I think that's very much true, and I think that somebody is going to probably produce that data sooner than later. In recent decades, the past 50 years, there have been numerous sightings of a shape-shifting werewolf known as the Flixton Werewolf in North Yorkshire, England. In conjunction with these reports, there have been reports of mysterious light orbs and physical spacecraft in the same vicinities at the same times. Again, we go back to Stan Gordon's claims and the fact that you could find an anomaly if you pull the data from these cryptid sightings and UFO sightings. Straps, belts, hides, salves, skulls, and even carvings have been used to effect the transformation into a supernatural wolfish creature. Self-professed authorities have tried to explain away the werewolf by saying the salves contained LSD, the temporal lobe in the brain can be irritated to cause hallucinations, fungus, mass hysteria, mass hallucination, and insanity. Even though in some instances this may be the case, the fact remains that plenty of people who've never done drugs and have never 
ever had a history of any mental conditions have and are still to this day witnessing and reporting these otherworldly canid creatures. I feel like saying maybe the maybe there's LSD in the whatever is such a cop out. It's like, well, yeah. it's a weather balloon because right. it's swamp gas. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You mean to say all of these people telling these stories are dosing LSD and they're all seeing werewolves? Yeah, it's just bullshit, and yeah. it's just half-hearted bullshit too. So yeah. it's not even convincing. In a town in Ludwigslust, Germany, a werewolf had taunted hunters during a hunting event there. It would even let them shoot at it, but bullets had no effect on it. It would also swoop in close enough to steal some of the hunters' kills. One day, one of the participants was a cavalry officer who was passing through the village nearby and noticed a melee of kids screaming and scattering from a house. He stopped to ask one of the children about it, and the child told him one of the young sons from the Fink family was left alone at the house. And whenever this was the case, the boy liked to transform into a werewolf and terrorize the other neighborhood kids. That's funny. Yeah. Dismissing the story, the officer was about to depart when he saw a wolf-like creature in the window and then observed it change into a boy. He went to the house and asked the boy about it. The boy told him he used his grandmother's wolf strap, or wolf hide, as it's also called, to change into the wolf. The man asked him to show him, and the boy did so after much hesitation. Not long after this, the officer told a local forester about it, and the forester convinced him he had been fooled. However, the whole while, he was thinking about the large wolf that could never be downed during the hunts. The forester then made a silver bullet, and later, during the next hunt, shot and struck the wolf when it appeared. The wolf actually fell this time, but before long, jumped up and ran off. The hunters all followed it to the Fig house, where they found it bleeding in the grandmother's bed. You know what? Shame on that boy. Shame on him. Because yeah. why is he playing with his grandmother's wolf strap? <laughs> well, yeah, and then he got granny shot, maybe killed. You yeah, know? now they're going to have to move, change their name. It right. would have been easier back then to do that than it is now. But oh, still, yeah. that's a lot. You got to make up a whole cover story. Right. That story is a rather old story that comes down to us from the old European werewolf myths. And similarly, pertaining to the older werewolf stories, the story actually comes from the town's own records. Wow. The Griswold Werewolves. Based on records from the town dated circa 1640, Griswold in Germany was overrun with werewolves. <laughs> this is like the wolfman, when one person gets bitten, and then before they kill that guy, he bites somebody else. Yeah, maybe. The number of werewolves grew so large that any human who ventured out after dark was in danger of being ravaged by one of these beasts. That is, until a group of students decided they were going to resolve the situation. They gathered all items, silver, including buttons, plates, goblets, and more, and melted them down into bullets. Now well armed, they boldly went into the night to confront the werewolves. They allegedly drove away most of the werewolf menace, and the people of Griswold could once more venture out into the night. Going back to some of the myth that we talked about and all these werewolf sightings in these European countries, do you remember when we were talking about Lycan and yes. his family? So at that party, at that feast, was a victorious Olympic boxer. He was from Arcadia, and Zeus turned him into a werewolf at that feast because he ate the flesh of that child that they sacrificed. Interesting. Yes. So there's a little bit more to that story. So the young boy was killed, consumed by one of the participants, who was Demarcus. He ate it, that child, and Zeus transformed him into a wolf. 
According to the legend, if he abstained from eating human flesh for nine years, then he would be turned back into human. However, if he, in his wolf form, because he was a werewolf for those 10 years, if he abstained, he would get turned back into human. If he ate any human flesh during that time, he would be a wolf forever. Interesting. Yeah. And keeping in mind that we still have very modern encounter reports of these werewolf cryptids. Here's a more recent story. The story involves the Hexham Heads. Oh, this is a good one. In northeastern England, there is a town called Hexham. In February of 1972, two young brothers, Colin and Leslie Robson, were playing in their family's backyard. They were digging in the earth when they discovered two strange stone heads. The heads were approximately baseball-sized and appeared to be very ancient. They had been carved and had an obviously primitive appearance. One was known as the boy. It had hair formed in stripes running from front to back. The other was dubbed as the girl, old woman, or hag, whose characteristics include wildly bulging eyes and a beak-like nose. They appear to have similarities to other Celtic heads from antiquity. And this is the point of the story where they should have looked at them and put them right back in the ground where they <laughs> found them. <laughs> and yeah. shame on their parents for not teaching their kids that if you find creepy stuff in the yard to leave it. But I know that most people don't believe in the supernatural, so they're yeah. not going to think that it needs to be said. But I feel like even if you didn't believe something that looked, the description sounds unsettling of what they look like, I would still be like, can you put those back? Yeah. So the boys immediately took the heads into their family house, just like what you said they probably shouldn't have, where they put them on a shelf. Paranormal activity ensued almost immediately. Naturally. The heads were observed to move across the shelf. Other things in the house would inexplicably shatter, including a glass window that exploded onto their sister as she slept. Oh, gosh. The family next door to the Robsons were the Dodd family. Even their home environment was beginning to exhibit similar paranormal disturbances. The young Dodd son allegedly had his hair pulled by ghost hands. The Dodd mother witnessed a standing goat-type creature with the head of a huge wolf materialize in her house. It stared at the mother and daughter for a few seconds and then ran down the stairs. Shortly after news of these strange occurrences spread throughout the area, the Stoneheads were then transferred to the care of Dr. Ann Ross. Dr. Ross was considered an expert on Celtic artifacts and was the author of a number of related books on ancient Celtic and pagan traditions. She was very familiar with ancient figurine carvings. She deduced the heads were created approximately 2,000 years ago. She also concluded the heads were possibly used in ancient fertility or sacrificial rites to primordial earth gods. She took the heads to her residence, which was located more than 150 miles from the Robson's family home. Once there, the heads began to exhibit very similar paranormal phenomena. She abruptly awoke in the night to a dark, bipedal creature with a huge wolf-type head glaring down at her. Mm -mm. She described the creature as approximately six and a half to seven feet tall with black fur. As with the Robson family, the creature then bolted out of the room. She immediately followed it, but it was moving far too fast for her to get near it. In no time, it made its way to the back of her property and vanished into the shadows. She should have also known better. Yeah. But then again, she was an academic, so but she's not thinking, oh, these might be cursed. She's just like, wow, artifacts. But she takes it home. Come on now. 
As was the case with the neighbors in Hexham, Dr. Ross's daughter, Bernice also saw the large, upright werewolf creature on occasion. Bernice stated, after coming home from school, she saw a werewolf-type creature leap from the stairs and into a corridor before disappearing. The doctor also reported to have experienced other phenomena, such as her study door flying open with no apparent cause, the appearance of a dark figure, and the frequent sensation of a cold figure in her presence. After experiencing for herself the related high strangeness, Dr. Ross attributed these jarring instances to the supernatural influence of the Hexam heads. Subsequently, after removing the heads from her house, the incidents immediately stopped. I wonder what they did with those heads. I wonder if somebody buried them again or if they're like on the shelf. Yeah, it's hard to tell, but the story goes that they changed hands quite a few different times and then they have disappeared apparently since then. And there were other characters, quite shady ones involved, and there was a big tangled story. Wow, yeah. It would have to be. That's a lot of drama. This is another interesting and very ancient story. This one comes to us from Herodotus. Often referred to as the ancient father of history, Herodotus was one of the historians open-minded enough to often believe in the unbelievable. He undoubtedly intimated as much in the style of his historical chronicling. The Neri in Latin, or Neri in English. They were a people who were neighbors of the Scythians, according to Book 4 of the Histories. The Scythian people inhabited a large territory generally positioned around Ukraine and southern Russia, but they lived a nomadic lifestyle, so their borders were often interchanging. The Nurians were located somewhere on the border of this vast Scythian territory. In the Histories, the Neri people are mentioned at a time of chaos. Herodotus wrote that only a single generation before Darius I of Persia crossed the Danube River to attack the Scythians. Around 513 BCE, the entirety of the Nurian lands were overrun with vicious snakes. Herodotus wrote that hordes of snakes abruptly and mysteriously appeared from out of nowhere and invaded the territory. In addition to this, even more snakes were allegedly infiltrating the area from an uninhabited land to the north. The snake infestation was so bad that the Nurians had to flee their lands. Here it should be noted that some have speculated whether or not the reference to a snake invasion could have been an allegory to mean a similar shapeshifter species such as the dragon reptilian beings. Right, and that's what I was wondering when you said that too. Like, were they snakes or was it dragons? Yeah. After this strange introduction to the Nuri people, Herodotus revealed that the Nurians were sorcerers and werewolves. Due to a type of magic, the whole of the Nuri people would turn into werewolves for multiple days on an annual cycle. After spending at least three days as werewolves, the Nurians would then return to their original human form. Herodotus wrote, quote, I do not believe this tale, but all the same they tell it and even swear to the truth of it. End quote. Coming full circle, we have modern-day encounter reports that are still happening, and these werewolf cryptids are being reported all the time. Another book that has a very good reference that contains some of the newer encounter reports is by an author named Nick Redfern. This book is called Shapeshifters, and he has several different stories in that book. One of them is a story about a werewolf encounter where someone had observed the werewolf or a were-type creature that looked like a werewolf coming out of a forested area in the dark of the wee hours of the morning, and it was observed to have that glistening light around it. Right. So 
really brilliant white flashes of light as it actually changed into a different creature. Wow. It looked like it was changing into some sort of a winged baboon, I think was the way they described it. There's another story in the book that mentions someone was out on a back road on a hillside somewhere. I believe it was somewhere on the west. They were out walking and they saw what they thought was a gray alien looking being. And the alien stopped for a moment, turned around, and then began to shapeshift. It shifted into some sort of a strange looking eagle and flew away. Whoa. We can also reference the alien big cats here, similar to the werewolves, in that these are huge, usually reported as very large black panther type creatures, only much larger than the regular panther. Again, these things can be huge, and even when they're on all fours, they can come up to the height of a person. So that's not a normal sized cat, not in the animal species that we are familiar with. Based on numerous eyewitness accounts, the alien big cats have also been witnessed utilizing this type of light or vortex to transform from oversized black panthers into giant Bigfoot looking creatures. The creature permutations and transformations seem to be so varied that any mixture, however incompatible and inconceivable, is yet possible. That's really wild, and it reminds me of my own ABC encounter that I had in Oak Ridge, which, thinking about it now, Oak Ridge had a military base, didn't they? Nuclear. And so I feel like that fits that I would see an ABC there. I was doing a training, and I was actually talking to you on the phone yeah. because I had an issue with my credit card. Yeah, I remember and I was about to order some pizza, and I looked out the window, and I saw this huge panther. It was easily the width of two parking spaces from nose to tail. It was massive, and so... No, it's gigantic. Yeah, and it was just walking along the border of the parking lot of the hotel. And I remember I saw it, and I kind of blinked, and it was gone. There was nothing there. Yeah, was that a more rural area? It was kind of, there weren't any other stores or anything super close to it, but there was a heavily wooded area right behind. Yeah, I was going to ask. Yeah. yeah, it was very much the woods back there. Yeah, so yeah, it would have been easy to duck back there too. Yeah, I didn't believe my eyes. <laughs> yeah, I'd say. In many of these cases, there are key factors. The key to many of the creature transformations appears to be a light orb, brilliant streaks of light, fog, or a vortex of some type. Some have suggested that just like humans can reach an avatar state and exhibit supernatural abilities, so too can similar creatures that exist aside from the human species. It has been made a point by other scholars, including myself, that many of the ancient myths and those other scrolls and codices later relegated to fairy tales as a deliberate derogatory conditioning were indeed describing other entities of a genetic composition that lies beyond the standard of the typical species, entities that have coexisted with humans since the dawn of the human race, yet possess a far more ancient origin. Again, many of the holy books as well as ancient scrolls and codices of numerous cultures clearly describe this phenomenon. We would leave you with a quote from W.B. Yeats. The world is full of magic things, patiently waiting for our senses to grow sharper. Thank you for joining us on this transformative journey through the Dragon's Eye. Stay connected on Instagram and TikTok at Dragon's Eye Podcast for additional content, 
behind-the-scenes glimpses, and updates on upcoming episodes. If you're tuning in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other platforms, we would greatly appreciate it if you could take a moment to leave us a review. And if you're watching on YouTube, give this video a thumbs up, subscribe to our channel, and leave a comment.